Hello, I'm Mark Carter. I teach high school English literature and composition at Lighthouse Christian School at a location near you. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatians. This is chapter 6, 11 to 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. So, it's good to be back with you all uh, this morning. Pam and I got back um, from Georgia, not where the Bulldogs play football, but the Georgia over Europe uh, next to Russia. And so, 30 years ago, um, I was on a team that was sent out from our church, Calvary Chapel of Downey, to do evangelism, and uh, we took our band uh, and did concerts, and we preached the gospel of Jesus, and Calvary Chapels had been invited to come to Russia via Bill Bright of Campus Crusade, who the Russian government had reached out to him and said, we'd love for you to send your people to our country. We want to learn more uh, about Christianity from your country. And, and so Bill Bright reached out to Chuck Smith, and Chuck Smith put it out to the Calvary pastors. And, and so our church uh, decided to, yeah, we want to be in on that, a country where communism had ruled the day for many, many decades, now open. And so we went, and my goodness, it was... <laughs> It was amazing. 
uh, that Russians just wanted to see what an American looked like. So you, you could, you know, attract a crowd just by saying, hey, I'm an American. You know, like, whoa, that's what you guys look like. And so we would do concerts in theaters and we would do street ministry and we led, I don't know how many hundreds of people to Jesus. And it was so thrilling and, uh, well, third, here we are 30 years later. And now the Russian government is really kind of coming back down on its people and upon religious liberty once again. And so these people who were young back then, some of the very people that we invited to Jesus at the outreaches then in 1992 are pastoring churches, walking with the Lord, and have been for 30 years. And it's amazing to see. So we invited uh, Calvary Chapel pastors from across Russia to gather in Batumi, Georgia, a city located on the Black Sea, and, uh, and they flew into a bordering, uh, to a, uh, a city on the Russian border and then bused to Batumi, Georgia from there, a six hour bus ride. And we gathered at a hotel in Batumi. Pam and I led worship through the conference and I taught, and, but we ministered. And, and one of the things that's happening in the hearts of the, the pastors and their wives was they're feeling isolated from the rest of the world. And, and, and they have a real keen sense of, of what the world is thinking of Russia right now, which isn't good because of the war, right? And so they're feeling, well, do, do, you know, does the church still love us, you know? And we affirmed that, oh my goodness, we love you, we are with you, we are a part of the eternal family of God, and we got to just pour into their lives in, in just remarkable ways. So I'm going to share a little bit more with you um, next week. Hopefully, we'll have a little bit of some interviews with uh, a few of the couples to show you. Um, but they are facing some real tough uh, decisions. We had some group discussions, and and the guys were asking, like, well, what do we do? I mean, if we if if we're facing jail time, if we're facing you know physical persecution, do we leave our churches for the sake of our families? What do we do? What do you do? And they're living with that. And, and so, and there isn't a clear answer about that. But the, the clearest answer that we feel like the Lord gave was, you know, that the Lord's going to provide grace in the moment. And you're going to know. And if he's calling you to suffer, even physically, he's going to meet you. He's going to be there with you. He absolutely will. And church, listen, we shouldn't think that that couldn't happen here because we see the, the winds that are blowing currently. And so what happens if our faith comes under persecution and we have to face those terribly difficult decisions? 
The simple answer is the Lord will be with you. He'll be there with you, absolutely. He won't leave you. And so it'll be okay. Well, uh, I am not preaching this morning. As tempted as I am, even from the notes, I see David's notes right here. I'm tempted to just start in right now. Um, but we are delighted this morning uh, to have David Rasmussen share. And so, David, you need to know, David, um, really, he has grown up, literally grown up in our church from the time he was born, been through Sunday school youth group, currently in the young adults ministry, is teaching Bible to um, our youth uh, on a regular basis, and he is gifted. He loves the scripture. And so let's give a great welcome this morning to David Rasmussen. Well, thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Um, it is good to be with you all this morning. Uh, we are going to get into the scriptures, but before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word and the truth it brings. Um, I pray that we could, we could look at what Paul is communicating through this letter today and we could see the truth that could apply to our lives. Um, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Well, uh, we just heard the end of the book of Galatians. We have been going through that for about three to four months now. Um, and it's been a good book. Paul has talked about a lot of important concepts with the church. And, uh, and a lot of them have been relating to their, uh, their ministry and, and what they need to be doing, you know, and loving one another. But one of the, the big things that Paul has been talking about is Judaizers. And essentially, there have been people who have come into the Galatian church who are preaching uh, that the cross is not enough, that there needs to be more to it. Um, and that's what Paul is pushing back against in this letter. He's saying, those people are wrong. And he's listed reasons why they're wrong. He's mentioned how Jesus is, has come in to replace the law and how the law of Moses can never save you, um, and which is what these Judaizers are holding on to. They're saying, no, there's things in the law that you still need to do. And one of those big ones is circumcision. They're saying, you all need to get circumcised, you new Christians, if you want to be right with God and if you want to have salvation. Um, Paul's argued that isn't true. In fact, if you believe that, it is a false gospel. It goes against what Jesus spoke. Um, so he's already argued against the contents of their message, which is important. And here in the end, we're seeing him argue against the motives behind their message. And I like how he opens this passage. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So we see here, it's possible, um, a lot of people believe that Paul used a scribe to write most of the letters. He would dictate what needed to be said, and then they would they would write it down. But here at the end, he's saying, no, 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 I'm writing the end of this. I'm certifying the authenticity of this letter for you. And the large letters, uh, why he's doing that, some people believe he had bad eyesight. Um, you can definitely see that in the scriptures here and there. So maybe the large letters are his signature because he can't see well. Um, or maybe it's because he wants to bring home an emphasis to this passage, which I, I definitely think it could be as well. There is a story of a man one day who was walking through a marketplace, and uh, he looked up and he saw a cat that was walking along, and it was picking up scraps that fell from the food stands. And as he was going along, he saw this, this hungry dog come bolting out from behind of one of the stands, and it began chasing the cat ferociously. And they went all around the marketplace, 
um, and eventually down an alleyway where the cat broke off and ran away from the dog and outran him. And the man approaches the dog and he asks him, how could you let the cat get away? You were so close. You were almost there. What was wrong? And the dog replied to the man. He said, well, it wasn't a fair fight, you see. You see, I was just running for a meal, but that cat was running for its life. In other words, we had very different motives for why we were running. It looked similar, but it was different. And that is what Paul is talking about in this. He's talking about the motivations behind the Judaizers' message. And motivations really do matter in our walk with Jesus. They can change the whole story of, of why we do what we do and the purpose that it will bring. I think, um, you know, in the story of Jonah, I was reading that a couple months ago, and I was surprised upon reading it. You know, we know the basics. God comes to Jonah, and he tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to the people. And Jonah does not do it. He goes the other way, gets on a ship, and he leaves. The Ninevites were not in a good relationship with Israel at the time. Um, But we know the rest of the story. We know God sends a fish, and he brings Jonah back. Um, And Jonah eventually does go to Nineveh. And when he goes there and he starts preaching the word, something crazy happens. The Ninevites believe. They turn from their sinful ways, and they do what's right. And, uh, And even their king comes out and does that. But But it's interesting, Jonah's response, he's very angry that that happened. And he says, you know, this is why I ran away originally. It was because I did not, I knew you were merciful and I knew you would forgive them and I didn't want that to happen. I think when I read the story originally, I've always thought it was because Jonah was a scared, cowardice person who, you know, did not want to face the Ninevites. But we learned that there was another reason for it. And, And the fact that God could still use Jonah was, was interesting in that story. We are going to be getting back to the motives of, of this passage. If you read in verse 12, uh, Paul assigns the first motive to these Judaizers. And that's my first point today, which is that they want to impress people. It says in verse 12, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. If you're reading out of an NIV, it just straight up says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh. So we see here, these Judaizers don't have a a care for the law and a care for keeping what's right. That's not the motivator for why they do what they do. They want to impress other people. And I think this is something that a lot of us can spend a lot of time and a lot of money doing, is trying to impress and look good for others. We can do it with our parents. We can try to look our best and dress our best, uh, work on our physique, go to the gym all the time and try to, to be the best you can be. We do it with our intellect. We read books and study and, and try to grow our knowledge to and wow and impress your friends and your family. I think we also do it with uh, wealth and power, with money. I think sometimes we try to, to show what we have. And, and all those things, I don't think in and of themselves um, are evil. But ultimately, if, if your purpose is to impress people, those things are fruitless. And... Uh, That is what Paul is tapping into here. We saw last week when Jeff was teaching, he was talking about that story of Ananias and Sapphira um, when they sold the land and they tried to make it look like they sold everything and they didn't. But uh, the ultimate goal of that was to look good for the church. And uh, we know it did not end well for them. And this idea is something that Jesus pushed back on quite a bit. He said in uh, Matthew 6-2, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus, you know, he's saying, 
if you do that, you're going to get your reward right here, right now, and that's it. Fleshy works are going to get fleshy rewards at the end of the day. And if your goal is to impress people, uh, Jesus is saying it's, it's a bad goal. It's not good. And that is what moti- is motivating these Judaizers, as we can see. But it's interesting their means of impressing. If you look, it says at the end of, of verse 12, who would force you to be circumcised. And in uh, 13, it also says that they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So the way they're impressing other people, and particularly the other Jews, is they're getting new converts. They're getting followers. See, look what I've done to these Galatians, how I've made them believe what we believe. Isn't that impressive? I think for us there's a lesson there that we have to be careful who we follow and also acknowledge that there is bad teaching that people can and do follow. I was, uh, I was been on, been on a big Greg Laurie kick recently. I'm sure many of you have heard of Greg Laurie. He does the Harvest Crusade uh, Ministries and he teaches at a church um, in California. But uh, I was researching a certain topic he was talking about. It was um, one of his pastors had committed suicide, and I was, I was trying to see kind of what his thoughts were on that, and I was searching it on YouTube. And the first video that came up was uh, a video about a letter that had been written to Greg Laurie, and there was a person in the video who was reacting to this letter that was on the issue. And I was like, oh, this will be interesting to see. So I, you know, I clicked the video. It was the top result. And I quickly found out that the person who was doing the video had actually written the letter to, to Greg Laurie. And it also became very clear that they did not like Greg Laurie one bit. And there were a lot of other people they did not like either in the Christian church. They saw many flaws, and they were quick to point them out. Um, and you could also see this person had created new rules and new laws for themselves. One of them is, thou shalt not have wealth. He very much disagreed with Greg glory in having wealth. He thought that was sinful, and that was one of the points he came at. But when I was watching the video, I was like, wow, this is, it didn't seem godly. It didn't seem Christian. I was so surprised. You know, the points he was making aren't even in the Bible. And I was wondering, I'm like, did I just get tricked into watching this video? I mean, I see the views it has. Like, did I just get clickbaited and everyone else who watched it got clickbaited as well? But uh, as I looked in the comments, I found that's not the case. There are a lot of people in the comments who said, keep it up, brother. You're doing the right thing. You're like the only one who knows the truth. So, I mean, I was amazed. You see very quickly that this person had amassed followers, which is what we need to be careful of, especially in relations to humans. We should be very careful about elevating humans to a status that they shouldn't be at. It says in 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 7, this is when the Israelites had entered the land and they'd been... Um, God had been ultimately ruling over them through judges and prophets. Um, and they have a, a turn, though, in, in 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 7, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So we see this ultimate rejection of God and what he wants in exchange for a human. It's a very dangerous thing, and it can creep up in a Christian's life too as well. And that is what's happening to these Galatians. We see not only have these people taught a false gospel, but the Galatians have believed it in many ways. Um, And that brings me to the second point 
about these Galatians, which we see in verse 12, and it is that they fear persecution. In verse 12, it says uh, at the end, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So what does that mean? Well, when the Romans had conquered the whole world, or the whole known world at the time pretty much, they set up religions that were allowed under Roman law. And one of those religions was Judaism. It was authorized, it was approved, it was allowed. Um, Christianity was not. It was not in there yet. And so what I believe Paul is saying here is he's saying these Judaizers are trying to format Christianity to fit within the Jewish frame of laws so that they can, they can make a hybrid religion that could be approved by the Romans. And you wouldn't face persecution from the Romans, and you wouldn't face persecution from the Jews. And that's their ultimate goal here. Um, but what's very interesting is that I don't think it's a, a coincidence that people, that when you love to impress other people, you're often very afraid of other people. <laughs> if people are tantamount importance in your life, not God, I don't think that's a coincidence here that there's a reason they're so scared of, of the same people they're trying to impress, seemingly. And uh, I think it's important for us as Christians to know that, you know, persecution you know, is going to come, like Greg was saying, you know, there, we face a certain level in our lives, but it, it could grow potentially, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the world turns out, but how do we know that? Well, in Second Timothy, Paul does say it, in Second Timothy 3.13, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, evil, impe- well, evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So you can see there, it's inescapable. Uh, persecution will come, uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I think, like Greg was saying, it's important to remember that Jesus will be with you and all that, but it's also important to remember the alternative to watering down the gospel, and the alternative is what he says. Evil people and, and imposters go from bad to worse. Your life just gets worse and worse. You think, well, some stuff in the Bible that doesn't fit within the culture I live. What if I took something here and I swapped it out with something else? You know, it'd, it'd make the gospel a lot nicer. It'd fit a lot better. I could, I could say my faith a lot better without having the controversial parts attached to it. Wouldn't that make life so much easier? And Paul says, well, no, because you're deceiving yourself. You're not speaking the truth. You're speaking a lie And even if people like it, it's never the right thing to do. And ultimately, it will lead to your demise. I think it's important for Christians to acknowledge, uh, which is, leads me to my third point, which is that the Judaizers are deceptive. We see that in verse 13. He says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that, that they may boast in your flesh. The Judaizers themselves don't really love the law. It's not kind of the most important thing to them. It's just kind of a part of their world. They're deceptive in that way. They act like they love it. They act like they live for it, but they don't actually. I think legalists can appear this way sometimes, where they can appear wholesome and, and different than the culture we live in. You know, we live in such a depraved culture at times. There's, legalists can create a, a subgroup where we don't do those evil things. We do all the right stuff, and, and it can appear correct, and it can com- appear to be community-based, and, um, and like I said, wholesome. But I think at the end of the day, we've got we to realize that it's deceptive by nature. 
It won't save you. It never could. It never will. Jesus also pushed back um, against, you know, deception. It was pretty frequent in Judea with the Pharisees and the scribes that lived there. He says in Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead bones and all uncleanliness. Isn't it interesting that Satan is deceptive? I mean, if I were to make a list of evil traits, I'm sure Satan would fulfill all of those traits. But it's interesting how deception seems to be one of the primary things he likes to do to Christians. He's very good at it. He's grown very good at it. We see, you know, right at the beginning of the, God, of the Bible in Genesis, uh, where he comes to Eve and he deceives Eve into believing that God has special things he doesn't want you to have, Eve. And in, he projects himself to be a person he's not. He also, in the story of Genesis, it's interesting, he, he projects himself to be just a friendly person passing through the area. Hey, just looking out for you, you know, just wanted to let you know. But truly, we know Satan hates God, and his projection is not at all accurate. Uh, we see it in the New Testament as well when he, he comes to Jesus, and he's tempting Jesus out in the desert. Jesus went out there and was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and, and the devil came to him and, and was tempting him in various ways. Um, and the second temptation he had is they went to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, and he said, Jesus, if you jump off this temple, there's a verse, and the verse is from Psalms, that the angels will come and rescue you and not let your feet hit the ground. And, uh, and Jesus says, yeah, no, that's, you're, you're misquoting the Bible. Or, you know, you're not misquoting it, but you're testing inaccurate, and you're not supposed to do. It's funny, Satan doesn't love the Bible, but he pretends he does. He's, it's like, you don't live by it. Why are you quoting it? It's interesting the deception that, that he was trying to pull on Jesus there. And those are the traits that, that Paul has described to the Judaizers, and they're true. Um, but Paul takes a turn in verse 14, um, and he speaks of what we're to be like. He says that in verse 14, he says, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. It's my fourth point today, which is that we are to boast in the cross. And what does that mean? Well, the, uh, the Greek word for boast, actually, it's, it's karchomai, and it means to exalt or rejoice in some way. So it means like this idea of, of fully appreciating the glory of what the cross has done for us. I think that's important for a Christian to acknowledge. Paul doesn't point to his, his accomplishments, of which he has many. He could say, well, look at all these churches I started in Asia Minor and across the Christian world. Look at everything I've done. How could you believe them over me? He doesn't point to that. He points to Jesus. He says, Jesus is who I follow, and Jesus is who I boast in. I like it when, uh, when Jesus is, is picking his disciples originally. He comes over to Peter, and uh, he says, Peter, I want you to follow me. And Peter says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. That's such an interesting phrase to say to Jesus. Like, Jesus, you could do a lot better than me. I'm not your best option. There's a lot of better ones out there right now. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I want you, Peter. Peter was aware of his sinful state. And I believe that is what leads people to appreciate the cross. If you aren't aware of how sinful you are, it's hard to appreciate what the cross can do. You can think, well, 
yeah, I mean, I do bad stuff here and there, but I also do so much good stuff, it kind of outweighs it. And, you know, if I really, if I really obey rules, maybe I'll, you know, kind of take the edge off and it won't be so bad. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're missing it. You're missing the point. And the point is all of us are sinful. And when Jesus came, he, he, uh, he was tapping into that idea. He says, you know, the, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Now, of course, we know everybody needs Jesus, but he's saying, if you think you don't need me, if you think you don't need the cross, well, you can live a life where you don't. It's a sad life, and ultimately it will lead to destruction, but that is a life you can live. But it isn't one that Christians should live. We should be focused on the cross, and we see that with Paul as well. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Like, what a bold statement. Like, I'm the worst that there could be, pretty much. It's that kind of a person who really boasts in the cross. And it's really something um, to watch for. Which brings me to the, the fifth point today, which is that we are a new creation. We see that in verse 15. It says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I love how he starts that. He says, he says circumcision doesn't count, uncircumcision doesn't count. In other words, don't create division where there doesn't need to be any. I think sometimes we like to do that. We like to make my team and their team, and my team's going to win, and their team's going to lose. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that where you don't need to do it. There are times where we need to stand up for stuff, and we need to say, no, this is true, and that is false, but this isn't one of them. So don't create extra ones you don't need. And ultimately, the reason why is because there's something bigger going on here. There's this concept of a new creation, once you get saved, you're new, like completely. Like God's created something, something completely different from what was there before. And God loves doing that. We're going through Genesis right now uh, in the Young Adults Bible Study, and, and it's just interesting, all the creation that God has produced in Genesis. You know, he makes the world originally and, and uh, puts Adam and Eve in there, and then they get experience the world. The flood happens, but then the world kind of starts anew. All these people go out and they, they break off into different nations and groups and they, they fill the whole planet. And I was thinking, you know, it's such an interesting idea like going somewhere where no one's been before. That idea of that newness and the freshness, which I feel that sometimes we don't have in this world. We've kind of, we filled up the earth to a, a good extent, which is what we were called to do. That's good. But I think deep down we yearn for something new and something greater. And the reason for that is there is a new world coming for us, a new earth. And it's going to have all, all the best stuff of this world and some new stuff that God's going to make. And if you're, if you're a new creation today, if you're saved, you are going to be part of that world. That is where you will live. And it's going to be good. So Paul's saying, that is what matters right now. This concept of being a new creation. You know, it's part of baptism, which is we do baptism. It's a picture of, of dying to the world and becoming something new. It's important for us to understand. And how he ends the, the letter is very interesting. He, he says, you know, he points to the persecution he's received. Uh, he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I think he's pointing that, you know, I believe what I'm saying. I, I know I'm good. I, I know I've spoken the truth to the best of my ability, and, and I'm, not, I'm not worried from that standpoint. And then in the last verse there, in verse 18, he says, 
You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul, he ends the book of Galatians in grace, which is important because it's kind of been, it's been the theme that he's been bringing up consistently throughout. He wants to make sure they understand it. And I love that Paul is such a champion of grace, considering that before he was saved, he loved the law. He was a champion of the law. He understood it forward and backwards better than probably any of these Judaizers could. He knew everything about it and everything that was appealing about it. And yet we see he has taken a radical, a radical 180 away from it. The realization that it can't save you. I think in many ways he reminds me of a, of a character from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, the books um, are about four Pevensey children who enter a magical wardrobe into the land of Narnia. And uh, in the land of Narnia, there's, you know, a lot of Christian imagery. We have Aslan, who represents Jesus, the white witch, who represents Satan. And uh, upon entering Narnia, pretty much three of the Pevensey children, uh, they get it. They understand, you know, Aslan's good, and they understand what their purpose is in that world. But initially, Edmund, one of the children, who's just an all-around not-good kid, he's deceived. And he believes that the white witch is actually good, and he ends up betraying some innocent people over to the white witch and following her. And eventually, by the time he realizes he was wrong, he was captured in her castle and he's stuck there. Uh, and he sees all the evil that she's done. And something amazing happens. Uh, Aslan does come to rescue Edmund. But furthermore, there's a transformation that happens in Edmund. In the final battle where they're going to go against the white witch, Peter says, well, let's send the girls home. There's two boys and two girls. Let's send the girls home, and we'll go into battle, and we'll see what happens. And he says, no, no, no. He says, we all have to go into battle. And he says, I've seen what the white witch can do, and I've helped her do it, and I can't let these people suffer for it. I think Paul has seen the evil side of works in the law. He's been a part of it. He's been a part of persecuting Christians. And he says, you know... I can't, I can't live at all in that world. That is a different world than the one I'm in now. It was also said in the story that Edmund's judgment was clearer than any of the other children after that point. His sense of justice and, uh, and what was right and wrong, it was greater than, uh, than what anyone else had had in the land. And it became his greatest strength, which I think we see here with Paul. And I like the last thing Paul says. He calls the Galatians brothers. Like I said, we know the, the Galatians have not only heard stuff these Judaizers have said, but they've also believed it. But Paul is saying here, we're still brothers. I still believe that you're going to come through this. And that on the other side of it all, you're going to be better for it. You're not out of the church. You're not kicked out yet. There's still something in you that I think can be saved. And perhaps he has some insight that, I don't know, being a new believer or, or perhaps they were deceived or, or he seems to know that there will be a reconciliation and that, that you and I are still brothers, which I think is important today. So yeah, guys, let's pray. Dear God, I, I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for for your heart as well, God, that you, you do reveal the truth to us and that we can, we can stand in this world and be deceived or we can look to you and what you did on that cross. 
how you took the sins of, of the world and you put it on yourself. And no matter how good people can think they are or how bad they think they are, it doesn't matter in the sight of, of you and your holiness. But loving people so much, you chose to come to us and save us. Scott, I want to pray if there's, if there's anybody out there um, who doesn't know you, uh, if you're either here in the auditorium or watching online, I, if that is you, I, I just pray that um, today would be the day that you could open your heart to Jesus um, and see, see the sinfulness of your ways and what he's done for you. So if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose from the dead. I pray now that you would wash me of my sins and set me in a new life with you. I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now going to transition into a time of communion today. So yeah, thanks guys. Yeah, thank you, David. That was excellent. So appreciate the gifting that God has blessed that young man with. So we do invite you at this time to come forward to or around the room. There's a, a number of communion tables that you certainly don't want to think that, oh, I know where I've been this week and I, I just don't think that Jesus could love me. That is so far from the truth. This is the recognition of what He has done because He does love you and He makes it right. And so He's saying, come, come, do this in remembrance of me. And so it's, it's what we do is to remember that it's Him and Him alone that is the one that is able to pay for the cost of my failures, my sin on that cross. And of course, we know that the judgment was poured out. Our judgment was poured out on the sun, on the cross. And it was dark from noon until 3 p.m. that day. And it, I believe that at, at the end of that time period was when Jesus said, it is finished. The work of salvation for mankind, the payment of sin um, was was done away with, was dealt with by God. And that's what we do in remembrance. And of course, we know the story that, that he was placed in a tomb, a rich man's tomb. And three days later, he rose from the grave and appeared to Mary and then his disciples. And, and so not only did he conquer the sin that all of mankind deals with, the, our failures, our shame, our guilt, but he conquered its consequence because that consequence is death. And so when we do this in remembrance of it, we do this in remembrance of a risen Savior. And so we have much to rejoice about when we look at and remember what Jesus has done. He was the one who was blessed and broken for us. So too do we take the bread recognizing it was by his body, his bruises that we are healed. So let's pray. Lord, thank you.
Thank you for taking the blows that were mine. Thank you for taking the blows that we deserved. And you exchanged them with your righteousness, but you also did it all because of love. And so may we express our love to you today by saying thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for us, for taking those blows, taking that judgment so that we could live, live for eternity with you. Amen. Go ahead and partake. And of course, we know by the book of Jeremiah that it says the life is in the blood. And so it was his blood, the blood of God, the innocent one, the one without sin. There was no guilt, no shame. But it was the life that had to be given to cleanse us. I love that passage in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge them, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, we have good reason to celebrate today in our Savior who cleanses us through his shed blood. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the love that poured from your veins that cleanses us and washes us white as snow. Bless you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And to partake.